Hello, and welcome to the Substack Podcast, where we have conversations with writers who've earned their independence. Today, we have my colleague Hamish McKenzie talking to Jessica Lesson. She's the founder of The Information, which is a subscription-based news site that covers the tech business. They talked about the trends towards subscription business models in journalism, how the information grows their reader base, and why they decided to start an accelerator to help media startups. So without further ado, here's Hamish McKenzie and Jessica Lesson. Jessica Lesson, welcome to the Substack podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm going to launch straight into it here. Uh, you're a smart person. You went to Harvard. You could have probably gone on to almost any high paying job you'd want, I imagine. And yet you chose to be a journalist. Why? <laughs> you know, I caught the bug early. I, I felt that um, the best job in the world was not having to pick one job and to have license to learn about pretty much any subject at any time seemed to me the essence of being a journalist and it, it seemed like um, a way better deal than signing up for one career. So I got hooked at a very early age and have been um, with it ever since. Great, and, and you after Harvard you ended up at the uh, Wall Street Journal and you were writing, uh, or you are covering technology companies, some of the big ones, Apple, Google, uh, Yahoo at that time. Um, how did you end up on that beat? I got hired at the journal to cover consumer tech startups. Um, and I, I think honestly, my age um, had a lot to do with it. Just being right out of college um, and presumed to be sort of close to the next hot new thing. Um, you know, I, I was really excited about that beat, but I think the editors at the journal thought I might be suited to it because I was presumably in touch um, with what the younger folk were doing online, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and after covering startups and other technologies from New York, I had the opportunity to move out to the West Coast to cover Google, Yahoo, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, which at, at that time was was one big beat. I think now most newspapers have maybe three or four reporters, um, maybe not with Yahoo anymore, but um, <laughs> Poor old Yahoo. It, was a, it was a different time and, and a really, really exciting opportunity I jumped at. Were they right about you? Were you, were you in touch with uh, the hot technology companies of the time? Yes and no. I, mean, I think I knew people who were uh, starting technology companies um, and who were going to work for them. I myself was not particularly tech savvy. I am often teased for being one of the last people um, to sign up for Facebook at, at my college, although it you know was probably within the first month of Facebook launching. But still, I, <laughs> I, need, I was on the end of that train, not the beginning. Um, but I, I loved covering the beat right away because to me, it, it wasn't about tech. It was really about covering how every industry was reinventing itself. So you could cover the future of the entertainment industry by writing about online video or the future of retail by writing about mobile shopping. So that's always been the sort of aspect or dimension of tech that's really resonated with me. And um, yeah, I've loved it so much, I still do it. <laughs> and so how long were you at the journal in total? I know you started in New York and you moved to San Francisco, but what was that um, some experience? 
Yeah, I was there for over eight years, um, and I, I really loved working there. I learned an incredible amount about being a reporter, um, about thinking about and editing stories. You you just pick up so much from being in a newsroom and hearing your colleagues on the phone working their sources, and um, you know met so many incredible people and you know, just loved life as a reporter. I think what happened and switched for me is that I started to notice what I felt were incredible number of business opportunities in the news industry that all traditional newsrooms were sacrificing and missing out on. Um, Chief among them, a real focus on being a subscription business that was accountable to readers and not advertisers, as well as some opportunities around the types of coverage and the nature of the coverage to make it more relevant. So for me, those business interests just sort of eclipsed, um, you know, the day in and day out of being a reporter and um, led me to start the information um, almost five years ago. Yeah, I've got your um, your note to readers that uh, you published in December 2013 announcing the start of the information. And you said in that that, uh, and I'll just directly quote you, you said, media outlets are relying on sensational headlines or idle speculation, not original reporting, to make their versions stand out. And sitting here in, in 2018, uh, that seems uh, more clear and more obvious than ever. And this, this problem of sensationalism has become like a societal problem. Uh, but w- what did you see at that time that others couldn't see because the subscription model wasn't that obvious and it was still a little bit controversial in the media at that point. I think what I, I, I do believe I had a unique experience sort of being a journalist in the trenches of writing for these business models. And an example I think about a lot, one of the beats I covered towards the end of the, my time at the journal was Apple, you know, one of the hottest companies on the planet, insatiable news demand. But there are many, many ways to write a story about Apple and many, many audiences to write for. And, you know, I could spend all my days telling you that the new iPhone was coming out and guessing how long the lines were and, you know, playing up some buzzy feature of the phone. And that would be a very different story than, you know, reporting about the management team at Apple and how they were um, getting along post Steve Jobs and what that meant for the future of the business. And so, I think I saw and really that there are different audiences for so many different stories. And and also that, you know, different types of stories require way different amounts of actual reporting and knowledge versus just speculation or just um, coming up with a clever headline. And I think when you're a journalist experiencing that and, and sort of in the middle of satisfying different editors who, you know, maybe the web editor has different goals than the page one editor, right? So, so I really just felt very acutely that, um, you know, you make compromises and trade-offs in the journalism for the business model and the format. And it seemed to me like the web was just pulling us all in one direction of that, which was sadly towards more surface level, um, less original reporting, faster turnaround fluff. And it seemed to me that you could follow that direction or not. Um, But there was no way that the demand for quality 
and deeply reported stories, you know, stories where you're working multiple sources over very long periods of time, you know, it was clear that demand for that information would go off the charts too if, if there was enough of it. So that was sort of the dynamic that obsessed me when I was starting the information. It must have still felt scary uh, when you're stepping outside the group to that extent, especially when it came to tech news, which uh, it wasn't like there was a shortage of tech news sites out there. Like, how did it feel stepping out onto pre- onto the precipice like that? I think when you're actually launching a business, you have so many other things that are preoccupying you that I don't... I remember feeling like I had a lot to do. I don't remember feeling nervous. Um, hmm. I think that I for better or worse, have a just a huge conviction in the power of original reporting. And if on whatever cadence a news organization, even if they're two days old or 20 years old, can write important stories that are true, that are accurate, that are valuable, there's a market for that. And, and I just knew that. And we were fortunate to hire some great reporters, also from the Wall Street Journal early on, as well as other places. So I, I had conviction in the product. I, I, the unknowns were the timing, the scaling. You know, there were a million of them, and there was just so much to do that I think that, and, and honestly, still to this day, is the more overwhelming <laughs> emotion um, rather than, you know, is there something of value here? Right. And one of the things early on that you did was uh, make a bold statement on, on the price. So what felt at the time as a bold statement, a lot of people... Uh, scoffed at the idea that the information or a tech news site would charge $400 a year, which compared to free seems like a lot, but maybe if you're on a corporate credit card is not such a high price. But um, uh, what were you thinking at the time when you set that as the price? I was thinking that's the amount of value I think we can deliver. You know, price is, there's no inherently good or bad price. It, it has to match the value of the service. And consumers know that. That's why, um, you know, there are huge numbers of investors that pay for Bloomberg terminals, right? With tens of thousands of dollars. So I, I think that, um, you know, that's a p- I'm still baffled today when you hear about people talking about price and, and not just sort of backing it up based on the value it's delivering to the target demographic. And so, yeah, I, I felt that, you know, for our audience, whether you were investors or even just entrepreneurs starting your company and looking to better understand, you know, the other leaders in Silicon Valley, um, that a dollar a day was kind of would be worth it to you. Um, and I felt it was important that we hold ourselves to that very high bar. So, um, you know, it wasn't I, I think I didn't agonize over the price. Um and um, I think, you know, it just has always been to me more about value. And how do you feel about the price today, that, that original price? I mean, it's still the same price, I, I understand. Like, would you have done anything different? I think so. I feel great about the core price today. Um, what we've done since then is we've expanded our offerings. So we have a lower tier um, and a higher tier. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has made more sense as, again, we've just added so much more beyond, you know, deeply reported stories about Google and Apple and Facebook to conference calls and events and communities online and and the like. So 
Um, I think it, I'm glad that we now are sort of segmenting more. I, I probably would have segmented more a bit earlier. Um, I think that, you know, we have a lot of subscribers who, um, particularly in the financial sector, who want more from us. And I think being able to offer them add-ons um, and more value is, is cool. Um, and, you know, maybe I would have done that earlier, but I think um, it's also never a bad idea to focus for as long as you can. And, and still we're, you know, we're an incredibly focused company. And I, I think that that's really important to moving fast as a startup. Um, but, but I am excited now that we have, you know, we have 199, 399 and 749 offerings. What about the, uh, the $10,000 a year specialist offering? Is, is that still around? It sort of has morphed into this, um, what we call all access. Um, I think we're still, um, I guess how it, what it's also morphed into, and, and that plan was a group plan, so it was sort of like teams could get access. Mm. Um, and you mean like a- access sort of to the reporters and behind the scenes sort of briefings, that sort of stuff was, is it, that was the original conception? Oh, but no, by teams I just meant like multiple subscriptions. So um, like a trading team could all have access. So it's just more like a group subscription. So mm. um, yeah, we, we now have clearer, we have the individual plans, which were the three I described, and then um, you know dozens, if not more, um, of companies that have like team subscriptions. And, and that 10K plan was sort of a precursor of the um, team subscriptions. Got it. Was there any particular reason that you started this with uh, a small team of reporters rather than this just being uh, Jessica Lesson's news publication, for instance? I mean, our goal is to build, you know, the most um, authoritative, influential, valuable newsroom of journalists, business journalists sort of period. So, you know, that that's a big idea that was always about more than any one journalist. And and why is that so? Why why is that principle so important to you? Um, well, it's sort of what's exciting to me about building the information is that we can build a newsroom that is serving, um, you know, readers globally with a tremendous amount of high quality, in depth original journalism. I mean, I think there's been a question for a while: what's the future of? quality premium news in the digital age. And I think um, we believe that that future is very, very bright, but it has to have the right business model and it has to be smarter and more efficient than ever before because the competition is so great. And, um, you know, building that publication is is my dream and something that, um, you know, ultimately we'd like to do at real meaningful scale. You know, we... Um, we have, uh, I forgot the late, you know, I think in the ballpark of 25 um, full-time reporters and editors right now. That might be a little bit low. Um, and that's, you know, quite a large number if you consider, um, you know, those are all covering technology in some way, shape, or form. And, and, you know, that's a bigger tech news operation than pretty much anyone, I think, right now. So um, we're getting there, but we're really only at the beginning. We have a long way to go. Cool. Yeah. One of the things that um, we hear a lot from Substack publishers is uh, how do I get started? How do I build my subscriber base from scratch? Um, And that's something you did really well with the information. I'm just wondering what it is that you did first to get those 
earliest subscribers? You know, we picked up the phone and started reporting, and I know I'm sort <laughs> of a squeaky wheel on this, but um, before we had our website, we put up a WordPress site and published stories, you know, um, Apple acquiring this company, um, SoftBank just investing in this company, and here's the backstory about why they did the deal. And, you know, on that website, we said to people, give us your email if you want to follow us once we launched. And that email list became, um, you know, coupled with every contact on the planet that I had personally, <laughs> um, became that great seed um, to to share um, that we had launched and, and try and draw attention. But, you know, to this day, editorial is far and away our most important growth driver or lever, whatever you want to call it. You know, each story, um, you know, begets more emails, more subscribers, more interest. And I, I've come to appreciate that, that as news, that's a huge advantage for us. You know, it's very different than starting a subscription enterprise software program where, you know, even to get a lead or to get an interested potential customer, you might have to spend a lot of money to drive a lot of awareness. Um, the nature of news and publishing throughout the day, every day, um, gives you that really steady source of interest if the content is worth it. Um, and that, so, you know, we get, you know, multiples more sort of leads um, than other subscription businesses that I've sort of studied um, and, and, you know, convert them at a good rate too. So um, just leading with the content first, I think, is always a wise strategy. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, it, like, do how, how often, well, to what extent do you think of your growth engine as being kind of like a machine that brings subscribers in automatically and to what extent do you think there's still a, like a lot of personal hustle required to get people in the door you know honestly it's pretty automatic at this point i mean the the hustle there's plenty of hustle um um but i think it's a lot of it is sort of trying new things um and that that may work that we haven't thought of but there is this core engine of conversion that works really well. And, and then of course, retention, the other really important piece of a subscription business. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, frankly, it's fabulous. I mean, it you can understand it, you can influence it. It's aligned with what you wanna be doing in terms of your content creation. Um, and then where there's sort of exciting new business opportunities is, you know, in, in ways of juicing that or growing that, but also just new channels as well. So, um, you know, I think we've got an incredibly entrepreneurial and scrappy business team, um, but it, it's sort of working off that really steady sort of wheel of supply and demand. Right. And outside of the, like, uh, outside of the content, just producing quality stuff that people want to hand over their email addresses for, what, what are some of the big drivers in that machine? Um, so it, it really does, does all start with the content and I'll sort of explain why, because for us, even if we promote ourselves, we're promoting our articles. So on social media, um, you know, our reporters will promote their stories, um, and that will drive you back to the site to sign up or learn more. 
Um, but th what we're promoting is not, you know, try the information. It's read, um, you know, this big inside story of what's happening with stolen goods on Amazon or something like that. Mm -hmm. So um, I think, you know, f ultimately the brand should closely tied to the product and um, we're sort of about that editorial. Um, so, so that's what our strategy is and what's worked really well for us. Okay, and what about the community side of it? Because the information, it's not like subscribers are just paying for reported stories. Like I'm sure many are, but there's also like subscriber-only comments, a Slack channel, conference calls, um, summits that you, you are doing. Like how important is that community aspect? I think it's a great bonus, um, and it you know I think for different subscribers they value it differently. Um, I also think of that as just a sort of next run of cool rung of cool content that you can't get elsewhere. Again, you know most news organizations are shutting down their comments, right? So there's nothing inherently valuable about them. But if you have a community of people that you want to hear from, the comments can be really interesting. Um, so yeah, we, we think it's a really exciting part of the offering. Um, it's something we want to always expand, think about ways we can better connect subscribers um, who may enjoy meeting each other. Um, we can do that a little bit through our events. Um, but yeah, I, and I think how much any particular subscriber values it really varies a lot from what I can tell. To what extent do you think of the information as like a traditional media company and kind of like the Wall Street Journal mold? Um, I mean, we're, we, I'm really glad we don't have printing presses. So <laughs> I think that's usually for me, um, you know, I guess, the, you know, the holy grail is having, um, I think, you know, the, the caliber and, and sort of in value and influence of the reporting of some of these really established newsrooms, um, but with a, a really nice digital business model with zero marginal cost of distribution. Um, mm. But I think, you know, at the same time, many of the traditional newsrooms, I, I think, are falling short when it c comes to covering technology. Um, I think they're very backwards looking in how they do it. Um, they aren't as relevant as they need to be. So, yeah, we don't really model ourselves after any one organization. Um, but I think, it, you know, there is a lot about us that is very old school for sure. Okay, I want to get into the old school part. But first, can you elaborate on that, that point about um, the traditional publications being a little bit backwards in the, in the way they approach their technology reporting? Sure. I mean, I think that... Um, a lot of it just comes down to like um, big organizations and silos between bureaus. Um, you know, tech isn't like this thing that just happens out in Silicon Valley or, um, you know, the thing that tech reporters sort of cover or know. Um, you know, it really permeates and intersects with all aspects of business. And many traditional newsrooms, you know, they're structured around bureaus. They've got the New York Bureau or the Retail Bureau and the San Francisco Bureau. and you know, there isn't always great communication between them. And so, you know, it's hard to um, sort of have an entire newsroom that's somewhat fluent in tech companies and then using that to go out and cover other industries and their intersection with tech. Um, and I think it just leads to better, more relevant stories. You, you know, you're more ahead on the curve 
um, because you're just closer to things. Like, you know, our team, um, you know, many years ago before Facebook bought WhatsApp, um, you know, we were very in tune with messaging and we have an Asia bureau. So we were very in tune with what was happening with WeChat and China and other things. And it just better positioned us to write about messaging and the rise of messaging, um, you know, ahead of the curve because we were sort of closer to it. Um, you know, by the same token, I think if you look at the very hot news topic of Facebook's relationship with the media industry, um, there are so clearly different angles that people take on that based on what kinds of reporters are writing the stories. You know, media reporters write them differently than tech reporters. And I think, you know, the best, most valuable coverage of that topic is going to be one that reflects multiple perspectives, um, but is, you know, has some awareness of what's actually going on inside the tech companies as well. So um, it's a tough, you know, it's a complicated subject. And I think a lot of people are doing good coverage. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you can't just sort of parachute in and, um, you know, the angles that you find, I think if some editor in New York is like coming up with what the reporters should write are very different um, than if the coverage is coming ground up from people who have covered the companies for a long time. And it doesn't mean the coverage is positive. I mean, we are hands down, I think, considered, um, you know, to write the toughest stories about tech companies. You could ask any of them. They um, tell me that they call their lawyers when we call to ask for comment um, because they're worried about what we're going to write. So, um, you know, I think people sometimes equate <coughs> an expertise in something as being fanboys, and we're sort of far from it. But, um, you know, it's, it's different. This is sort of what we do, and other publications have different subjects in their legacy. <coughs> right, and, and for you personally, that is kind of um, delicate ground to tread because you know the tech industry very well uh, in part because you have personal relationships with people who are in the tech industry who are founders you're married to a founder your friend many friends in your network who are founders or executives at tech companies uh, so how do you personally uh, strike a balance between this well-informed uh, editorial uh, producer within Silicon Valley who is also well connected within Silicon Valley and while maintaining the appropriate level of distance to be able to give uh, what can be seen as an uninfluenced or unbiased take? I think it's this it's the same balance that any reporter who's been covering a beat for a long time strikes. You know, there's um, you can't find a reporter in Washington, D.C. who doesn't have personal connections with, you know, people in the government, just as an example. So it's a very... Um, typical pattern and um you know you just one you you draw lines and boundaries um you pay a lot of attention to perceptions of conflicts as well um and i think you're just sort of smart and upfront about it um yeah i don't know that there's a a secret sauce to it it's something all journalists kind of grapple with right do you think, uh, by the same token, there's anything from like the startup way of doing business that uh, you or the information have kind of inherited by osmosis? 
I sure hope so, um, because we're building one. No, I mean, I think that knowing founders um, has certainly been valuable as, as a founder. And, you know, the, the advice, honestly, though, it, it comes down to the journalist in me is often bored by the things I cite as advice. I sort of roll my eyes thinking, oh, is this really what founders talk about? You know, but it's about what's the best way to structure my Monday morning meetings? You know, what's the best review feedback cycle? Um, you know, how do, how should we come up with our company values, um, hiring, you know, how can I become more effective at it and make sure I reserve enough time to do it, even though there's a lot on my plate. So, you know, absolutely those sort of universal things, um, it's great to have, um, multiple sounding boards on. Yeah. By the same time, like to what extent do you think that Silicon Valley has a valuable contribution to make in terms of how media companies are built because they're not not every media company thinks it's a startup even if it's just starting up like it has this kind of iffy definition what a startup is but people usually tie it to some sort of like um, high growth mindset and imperative Uh, uh, so I'm not sure where I was going with this but yeah, uh, no, like, I, uh, like, like, yeah. But how much is the Valley culture uh, potential guide? Yeah, how, how much does it have to offer to like the construction of a media company? I believe a tremendous amount. Um, you know, startups, the ones that succeed are ridiculously good at focus and execution and being really clear about what they need to win at and focus on and how to track that and measure that um, somewhat relentlessly. And I think that's a valuable thing for media to really focus more on, you know, particularly in news where, um, you know, the, the wonderful thing about news, I believe, is it has tremendous value as a business, but also has value above and beyond a business, just with the sort of social value it's introducing into the world um, Mm -hmm. through quality information. But um, sometimes I think that broader, um, you know, purpose or broader influence sometimes blurs out that it it can and is and should be a great business so that it can sustain itself and keep doing great work. Um, But I think in news, folks have sometimes been a little, yeah, reluctant to kind of strip down to its essence, um, you know, what the product is, who the audience is, um, and, and to really iterate against that. But I really do believe it's best for the long term that, that news companies do that. So I think that's one really nice lesson to learn from um, startup land, particularly in the Valley, um, that real sort of focus where you're competing against giants, but you kind of have to find your way in and it forces you to just be very, very disciplined. Um, There are a lot of other things too around, um, I think startups, because again, it's so competitive, are really wonderful. The the best ones succeed at recruiting and retaining and being great places for talented folks to work. Um, I think that's something that Mm. news businesses need to pay more attention to and probably should as well. So. yeah, there are many lessons. On the flip side, there are many lessons of what not to do. Yeah. Um, you know, for every startup that figured it out, there were more that didn't. Um, and, you know, things like the sort of cutting corners, um, cultural issues, you know, plenty of things that 
uh, you wouldn't want to emulate, well, but yeah, um, and there's a lot of inspiration. Another thing in the same uh, vein is that lots of startups raise lots of money to get going and end up um, in the pocket of venture capitalists to a certain extent. And we've seen there was a bit of an, um, a fad almost of media companies raising big venture rounds. And we're seeing some of the consequences of that as as they have failed to meet these enormous growth targets that they've set for themselves. The likes of Mike, Vice, BuzzFeed, Vox Media, all of which have missed revenue targets by a wide margin recently or have embarked on uh, rounds of layoffs. So I'd be interested in your perspective on the role of venture capital uh, in media and whether you think or not there should be a role. You know, I'm I'm probably the most extreme of thinking that media and venture capital are not a good fit, period. Um, you know, venture capital is very expensive capital. You give up um, not just economics in your business or control, but you give up so much optionality with each round of venture capital that you raise. You know, you're closing off your options as a business. And... Um, you know, I know there are many types of investors out there, but many of them have expectations for return that, um, you know, are not going to scale from a time horizon in the same way that many um, very healthy, very successful news businesses do. And, you know, perhaps more importantly, the startup costs of a news business are very low these days. You know, the very initial amount of capital that you need to get going. So I, I think that... Um, Entrepreneurs just have to be super, super skeptical of venture capital. Um, I think even outside of media, there's a tendency to think that, you know, venture capital is sort of like your business model. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to raise a round and I'm going to meet this milestone so I can raise my next round, right? And um, I heard Tim O'Reilly was talking to some of the startups that we invest in through our accelerator. Um, and he said, you know, venture capital is, is sort of like gas you throw on the fire of a business that already works. Um, but if you're sort of sitting around thinking like, okay, I need to raise this money to like figure out my business that you've sort of got it backwards. And um, yeah. I thought that was a really nice um, way of putting it. Exactly. You, you mentioned Accelerator there. Uh, the information this year uh, announced uh, that it was launching an Accelerator, which, well, I'll let you describe it rather than me trying to do it. Can you tell us what your accelerator is all about? Absolutely. So the Information Accelerator is a program that invests in a handful of journalists every year that want to start subscription news businesses um, or subscription news businesses that are early stage just underway. And the goal of it is really, um, on one hand, to sort of share the learnings we have in doing this um, to help companies get up the curve faster. You know, there's been a sense that the news industry is sort of dead or dying, that it's impossible to start new things, um, that we can no longer, you know, we're doomed to a world of fake news. And that's just not the future we see or want to see. And so we want to do our part to show and help, um, you know, all these great entrepreneurs and journalists who want to build new companies. Um, and then we also believe it's a good business. It could be a good business for us. So, um, you know, we take very small 5% um, revenue share um, in the companies we invest in as well because 
um, we sort of believe in them and believe that over time there are going to be huge numbers of quality news publications um, that are supported at least in part through subscription um, and that are really you know contributing to the news diet in a big way. So. Um, yeah, we're just, I'm, I'm, as we speak, sort of screening the second round, the second year of candidates to the program. Um, we've had over 100 apply each year. Um, so we really have our work cut out for us, but it's, it's really exciting and, and the caliber is so high, which I think we should all be really excited about. So you give them um, advice, uh, access to your network, uh, $25,000, if I'm remembering correctly, and do you you take five percent revenue? Do you get any equity as a result of that? We don't take any equity. No, we, um, you know, we say that the purpose of this accelerator is not to help you raise your next round of funding. It's to help you get to a hundred thousand dollars or more in annual recurring revenue as fast as possible. So um, we want to just help you juice that revenue piece so that companies um, really have their own oxygen and support to grow their business um and um we don't want to meddle or get in the way of the cap table cool so so what qualities do you select for when you're going through that list of more than 100 companies that are applying for the accelerator we're looking for ones that have content that really stands out in whatever field they're covering uh whether it's local news or crypto or science um you know, what, what I say and what I say to our team here, too, is in today's day and age, you know, you can't have a story that's 50% more interesting than the other version. You know, you have to have one that's about 10 times more interesting, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. bar for, let alone what's worth paying for, but what's worth reading, right, given all the content out there. So um, that's what we're looking for, a team that whatever their angle, whatever their uh, niche is, um, they have a real sustainability to generate content no one else can. And what's the sort of like cardinal advice you give these these people who are kind of trying to get going and hoping that they can one day be like the information? It, it comes back to the content and focusing on that and thinking through, um, you know, most of the publications we get pitches from start very broad. You know, they, they want to be in 19 different verticals or, you know, something like, you know, they're covering all these areas and, um, you know, we we race to sort of the biggest possible, broadest possible incarnation. And Mm -hmm. um, I want to help them get there, but you have to start by being great at one thing. So a lot of it is peeling back. Okay, you want to cover local news in Detroit as um, one of the companies in our accelerator, um, Detour Detroit from Ashley Woods. wants to do, you know, I spent a lot of time with her saying, okay, what aspect of local news in Detroit are you going to own first? And then which aspect are you going to own second and sort of building up? So it, 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 I found it, that requires a lot of rewiring, um, mm-hmm. particularly of journalists. But once you get it, it's a really nice way to sort of hit a stride and build a brand. And, and why do you think that tight focus is so important? I think it just it's better to be known for something than you know not really known for a lot of things or um you know it's better to be loved by a hundred customers in the first day than liked by a thousand i just I just firmly believe that I think as consumers we're 
choosing and interacting with brands that we have a real connection to, particularly in media. Um, and we don't expect, you know, I don't expect every bit of video I want to watch to be on HBO. I expect HBO to have some franchises that over the course of the year, I'm going to really not want to miss out on. And I think the same is true with, you know, news. You know, I don't expect, people don't expect the information to have every single story worth reading about technology ever, but, you know, they expect us to have really in-depth corporate profiles um, that tell them things they didn't know or, you know, early access um, to executives um, who are really important and up and coming or whatever it sort of franchises are. So, um, yeah, I think it just gets back to what can kind of connect with consumers in a really competitive environment. There's also a psychological clarity around doing fewer things better that I think resonates with busy people. And what do you think is like the right time to expand the focus a little bit? And, and, and is the information thinking about doing this? We've expanded a lot. You know, I think we, um, you know, we now aggressively cover things like the auto industry. Um, and part of that is through the lens of self-driving cars um, and ride hailing. But that sort of leveraged us into other um, types of stories about autos as well. Uh, same is true of media, probably same is true of finance. It's a good question. I, I, I honestly think a lot about that very question. Um, and how do you, um, when do you expand? How do you expand? Um, you know, our, our business grew at about 60% last year. Um, and I think we're on track to do the same this year. And um, that's pretty solid growth. And we're really excited about that. And so um, I think that also sort of when you have a business that's growing at that and, and could grow even faster um, as you just sort of get more excellent at it, uh, you know, I, I think that argues for really staying focused rather than getting distracted. So that's kind of what we'll continue to do and, um, you know, just kind of go slowly. And how, think, how big do you think uh, the information could get? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think we're, look, we're a little under five. We'll be five years in in December. Um, this is the last job I'm going to have. So I, I think we've got a really, really long way to go. And, um, you know, we should all be just, I think, as an industry and society, really encouraged by the fact that, um, you know, you can grow, um, you know, traditional-esque news businesses doing quality reporting in 2018, and that there's a huge demand for that. So, um, you know, I, I think that there's really no inherent limit on how big our kind of audience could be. You know, we have um, around 300,000 people today who have um, either registered or subscribed. We, we have nowhere near that many subscribers, I should say, but, you know, who are engaging in our content and, and reading it every week and um, you know we're just really happy and, and focused on the growth rate. How many subscribers do you have? Uh, we don't disclose that number. <laughs> Is it more than 20,000? See I know these games because I do them as a journalist but yeah no I think I mean I think the 60% uh, growth annually is sort of what we are sharing on that now and yeah um, yeah, just very excited about the business. I'm not going to push you, but I think it's an interesting question. Why don't you disclose how many subscribers you have? It is 
an interesting question. Um, I haven't thought deeply about that question, to be honest, but my knee-jerk instinct is because I think the more, whatever you disclose sort of just inherently becomes a benchmark, and then every time you talk about it, um, it becomes a distraction, and people want to know where it sort of is. And so, I, I mean, I think it's obviously a, a really important number for us and kind of our true north, but I, I think that you don't, you know, you don't want to set yourself up to talking about it every week or every month. I mean, you could just inherently distract from it. So I think that's probably what it comes down to. Um, maybe I'll come back another time with a better answer for that. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, my, that's what my gut says. I'll, I'll leave it as something to think about in the meantime. Okay, I, I'm conscious of your time. We've got to wrap up. But um, most of the news we're getting about the media uh, is negative. And a, for a good reason. It seems like a large part of the media business, especially when it comes to uh, reported print journalism or what used to be called print journalism is in a death spiral but there are some bright spots the information is one of them the athletic i think is another patreon and you know perhaps substack can get into the mix there as well uh but given the state of things now and i know it's kind of your job to be professionally optimistic but what is your level of optimism for uh, the future of the media from here I am deeply optimistic, but but not about everyone, right? I mean, I, I think it's a real sort of have and have nots um, and winners and losers that will play out. And, and that happens through any sort of period of disruption. Um, and I think, you know, you referenced some of the, what we're seeing with the ad-supported larger media companies earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that I think BuzzFeed will survive and eventually thrive but it may not be in the same kind of structure it is now just you know so i i don't think all those companies are doomed but um you know we we are in a little bit of this sort of land grabby like media is a little bit sexy again um and so i think the businesses that have real revenue real cash flow and real growth are going to have huge huge market opportunities but um you know, you're going to have to start seeing the revenue come in pretty quick because um, the advertising business is just going to get worse and worse. And, um, you know, other revenue streams like events and sponsorships, you know, are also really deeply challenging. And so, um, you know, I, I think the pressure is really on in media. Maybe that's how I would kind of frame the mood. Um, but I, I feel confident that there are going to be a number of big winners because, as you, you mentioned, a bunch of them. And, um, you know, once you've cracked something, there's a huge opportunity. It sounds like a good note to uh, leave it on. So thank you very much uh, for taking the time to talk. I really enjoyed that. Thanks, Hamish. I had a good one. Okay. Appreciate it. Cheers. Have a good day.